Mac Power Users, Episode 416, Consuming Content. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside my pal, David Sparks. Hey, David. Hey, Katie Floyd. How are you today? I'm well. I'm well. So it's been a while since we talked about consuming content. And there's been a lot that has changed since we've done shows on, you know, RSS and how we're getting all of our news content. And we talked about the demise of Google Reader. It seems like ages ago now. Yeah. I remember when that was a big deal. I know. And now it seems like yeah, we, we all survived the, the Google Reader shutdown apocalypse. And, and we were looking at that. We've done a lot of shows on different types of content over the years, but we have changed in the way we consume content on a lot of these. Uh, so rather than do like eight shows, breaking each one down into a separate show, uh, we decided just to kind of look at how things had changed and what we we're doing in 2018 with respect to content consumption. Right. More from a big picture perspective, because, you know, there's a there's a lot of content that can be consumed out there. And, you know, I'm kind of notorious for saying, gosh, I, I really love my iPad and I use it a lot for consuming a lot of content. So this is one of the areas where I'm really heavily using my iPad, but I do use my Mac as well. So I'm I'm excited to dig in here. Before we do that, we have an update. Yeah. So I have an update on the Mac Power Users Chicago Meetup. We are very pleased that we are going to do a meetup in Chicago on Wednesday, March 7th. That's the date we previously asked you to hold. And we are very fortunate that it is going to, again, be sponsored by MacPaw, the makers of Setup. We had such a great time uh, at Bar Louis last year. That's uh, on Polk Street in Chicago. They gave us the the back room that we had all to ourselves. We're just going to do the same thing again. So it's going to be held on uh, Wednesday, March 7th, 6.30 p.m. to probably about 8.30 or 9 o'clock that evening uh, at Bar Louis, which is located on 47 West Polk Street in Chicago. Now, we do have limited capacity. I, I think we should probably be able to, to manage somewhere between about 75 and 100 people. So what we're asking is that you do get a ticket. So tickets are going to be required for this. And I've got the Eventbrite up and going. Uh, tickets are free, and that's going to be a link in the show notes that you can find probably at the very tippity top of the show notes. Um, and we'll also put that on Twitter, and we'll also put it um, on the Mac Power Users Facebook page. Um, but again, we're we're looking forward to the uh, to the meetup, and I think that's um, uh, MPU Chicago 2018eventbritecom is where you'll find that. And uh, we look forward to seeing you all then. All right. Well, let's go ahead and dig in about how we consume words. And let's talk a little bit about, you know, information from blogs. Uh, I, I will tell you, I get a lot of my information, particularly about technology. And I, I don't want to say news, but things that I'm interested in. Um, and maybe some some news, but not necessarily, you know, national news and things like that. But I get a lot of those from blogs. I've got friends who have blogs. There are, you know, news magazines who have blogs. Uh, I would say probably, I don't know, maybe, maybe, f- 60% of my online reading comes from what I would consider blogs. Although I think the definition of what is a blog these days is is kind of gray because everyone has a blog from, you know, Max Markey sitting in his in his house to, uh, you know, CNN now. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think I what I'd like to say, you know, the, the word blogs is is all encompassing, in the, at least in the way I mean it, that uh, whether you're reading the New York Times or reading my blog, it's the same in a lot of extent. We've got a... Oh, yeah. Max Barkey in the New York Times, exactly the same in my book, right up there in terms of... I'm well, you didn't let me finish. <laughs> I mean, there's an underlying technology called RSS, really simple syndication, that drives down articles as they get posted, and they use the same underlying technology, whether you are the New York Times or whether you're a dinky little blog like mine. Um, and I think that's something that people have been reading for a while. Um, when it start, when the internet was brand new, you did that by probably having a set of bookmarks in your web browser and going through and checking them every day or two. Maybe there's some people listening to this that still do it that way. Uh, there's definitely better ways to do that. And uh, we're going to round over to RSS in a minute. But I thought before we get into that, maybe we should take a minute to talk about social media because we haven't really talked about social media for consuming words uh, or as a source of news uh, on this show because it's something that's that's kind of arisen over the last few years. Um, how much of that do you do, Katie? I think more and more these days using social media as a, as a platform for, for reading words and for finding information. Um, you know, Facebook and, and Twitter are probably the, the big two, although the, the breaking news at the, the start of, of 2018 is, you know, Facebook is actually making some changes to their news feed and their algorithm. And, and they're planning to deprioritize content from media companies and from pages in their newsfeed. So you may be seeing less from media outlets in your newsfeed. And the idea being that they want to put a priority more on your friends and on people in your network than necessarily, you know, I was going to say news, but it could be news, it could be articles, or it could be things from the pages that you follow. In fact, I don't know about you. Um, I have started seeing, uh, you know, actually the, my local newspaper, and the the local news that I follow both had articles and segments on the news about how people can keep them in their Facebook feed. And I was like, wow, this has got to be such a big deal to these news companies that they're being deprioritized in the Facebook feed, that they're actually spending column inches and they're actually spending time on segments on the nightly news to show people how to make sure that they stay at top priority in the news feed. Yeah, you know, this uh, Facebook in general is a uh, is an issue I am not intimately familiar with. Uh, although just from looking at my wife's feed, you can see how uh, Facebook in the past at least has tended to give you the news that you want to read, you know. Um and it's not, you know, it's an algorithm thing and I don't think it's really a great source of news. Um I I use Facebook to go in the Mac Power Users chat room. And that's about it. So I don't see much of the uh, the other news, thank, thankfully. In fact, if you want Mac news, you should go to the Mac Powers chat room. That's that's the place to go on Facebook. Well, uh, well, except we don't have a chat room. It's the Mac Power users group on Facebook, yes. Yes, ma'am. It's the group. But the big point is I, I'm not sure Facebook is the best place to do that. Um, if you are getting your news from Facebook, please uh, keep an eye on it. Because I think the Facebook news does have a tendency to skew to whatever your um, your leanings are. And uh, that's good and bad. Uh, uh, Twitter is another place a lot of people get their news. Um, I, I'm not a fan of getting news out of Twitter. I think it's great. You know, like the RSS feeds I was talking about earlier, a lot of them feed into Twitter. So if you want to go in and get your uh, favorite New York Times or whatever publication and just follow their RSS feed, that's great. But in order for that to work, you've got to be in Twitter when those posts come across. 
um, either that or scroll through everything in Twitter every time you log into it. Um, and that can work, but you have to accept that's the way you're using Twitter in order for that to get you the news that you want. And, and I'm not doing that. You know, I, sometimes I disappear off Twitter for days at a time when I'm heads down on a big project. And, uh, you know, so I, I think both of those solutions can work, but aren't necessarily a, an appropriate default answer. I, I see a lot of stuff through Twitter. I think you have to be careful both with Twitter and Facebook and really any kind of social media because it's it's very you're self-selecting in the type of news that you're going to get because with Twitter, you're only going to see links and information from people either that you choose to follow or people who you choose to follow who choose to retweet something, which means you're going to get a very skewed view of the world because you're going to get the view of the world that that you have chosen to follow. Whereas if you're you're reading more, I, I don't mean global in terms of um, reach, but uh, publications that that tend to to have a, a wider view of things, um, you, you're you're going to get a much wider view of the type of news that you're going to get. Um, I but I do from the type and, and I hate to call it news, but the type of blogs and content that I choose to follow, I also follow a lot of their Twitter. Um, uh, handles as well. And that's where I see a lot of stories that pop up in Twitter. And I'll click the links and sometimes I'll read them there or I'll save them to read them there. Um, I, I see a lot of deals. Twitter has cost me a lot of money because I see a lot of deals and information that pop up on Twitter and say, uh, you know, just today I saw that Anchor had one of their Qi chargers on sale for like, you know, from 26 down to $18, you know, nine to five toys. I think it had posted that deal. And I was like, oh, well, let me just click right here and go see it. And um, you know, boom. So it can be a dangerous, dangerous thing as well. Katie, are, are you a, a Twitter completionist? Do you go through and like scroll through when you log on to see what happened while you're gone? I generally, yes. However, I will tell you that I probably follow a lot fewer people in proportion to the number of followers that I have. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's fine. To keep my timeline minimal. When, when I, when I come on, if I've been off Twitter all day long, it's not uncommon for me to have less than 100 tweets to catch up on, which I can probably do in two minutes or so. And some of those are your favorite news sites or deal sites. So you're catching up with the news by scrolling through. And, and I think that is a, an, a completely appropriate way to get your news. Like find the websites that you do follow, uh, follow their Twitter feeds because they're going to post links to their articles as the day goes by. And if you just log in and scroll through, you will see all of the major articles. And that works. Uh, the d distinction I was making earlier is I don't do that. I'm, I'm, I don't follow that many people on Twitter either. But when I do go in there, I just kind of jump into the stream. I play around with it while I'm there. Then I jump out. I don't go back and see what happened while I was gone, which makes Twitter for news for me a bad idea. I will tell you a couple of, of options for this. If you people who want to use Twitter for news, I know a lot of people who have abandoned RSS completely and entirely use Twitter for this type of thing. And again, I'll give you the warning that, remember, you are self-selecting your sources, but I guess you do that with RSS as well. Um, Twitter lists is a good way to curate things out of your your primary feed and, and put them in a, a secondary list. So um, I know I have a lot, I think I talked about this in our disaster preparedness show. I have a whole host of um, local resources that I follow you know, local news, the local newspaper, the local television station, the local weather, the fire department, the police department, the the utility company. 
I don't want to see those tweets in my timeline all the time. I've got some of them in my timeline, but I don't want to see them regularly. So I've got a private list with all of those that I follow. And if something is going on or if I, I've gotten wind of something um, or, or whatever reason, I can just flip over to that list. I also, the other time that I find this particularly useful is for Apple announcements. So I have a couple of specific accounts that I follow um, during Apple live events. And it keeps me, especially if I'm not able to watch the event live, um, I can follow the event through Twitter, um, either if I want to be spoiled or if I don't want to be spoiled. Um, and just get kind of the, the bare bones of what's happening, you know, as opposed to all the commentary and everybody else's thoughts on it. Yeah. And, and there's an app out there, uh, Nuzzle, which is a, a great little app that follows the people on Twitter that you follow. And it, it finds links that they post often. So if suddenly all your friends start retweeting or posting links to a certain thing, uh, the Nuzzle app is a way to even focus it down tighter. Now. Let's talk a little bit about RSS and the state of RSS in 2018. While I will tell you that my use of RSS has declined quite a bit, um, RSS, for me at least, is not dead. I still use RSS quite a bit. Um, In fact, every morning, one of the first things that I do is I grab my iPad off the nightstand uh, and I open up Reader. And I check out my RSS feeds where I've saved, you know, probably a couple of dozen websites um, into my RSS feeds to see, you know, what has happened the day before and what has happened overnight. I I wrote an article about this a few months ago at Max Barkey called The Case for RSS because all of my friends, uh, like you were talking about, um, are switching over to social media for their news, you know. And I just wanted to say why I, I'm not willing to do that. And I kind of explained it just a minute ago that I don't spend all day in Twitter. And I don't mean this. I don't want that to sound the way that sounded. <laughs> but, the you know, I mean, just the way I work, I, I turn off Twitter and social media and stuff and I just work for a while. And then I go in these bursts where I'll jump over into Twitter. And uh, because of that, I'm not there all day to see the news as it comes in. So it's not a good source of news for me. I would much rather just ignore the world. Uh, and then when I get to a breaking point, go check up. And one way I could do that is go into Twitter, follow the appropriate sites, RSS feeds, and just scroll through those mixed in with, you know, the silly statements of my friends and things. And that actually may be a really great way to do it because uh, my friends make silly statements and it's fun. They make me smile and I miss a bunch of them because of the way I use Twitter. Nevertheless, I don't do that. Uh, instead, I just use RSS and I check the RSS feeds probably once a day, at least once every two days. And I don't have a lot of feeds that I follow, but the ones I do have all the relevant news that I want. Uh, I've got a a couple uh, low bandwidth ones for world news and uh, several on kind of technology news, which is stuff I'm super interested in. I've got some on Star Wars, you know, just the interests of my life have been boiled down to a few very good RSS feeds. And now I can just go into my RSS reader whenever I have that downtime and catch up with the world and feel like I'm, I'm more or less on top of things. So what is your RSS reader, Katie? I use Reader with two E's as my RSS reader. I previously used Mr. Reader, and I loved it. But yeah, sadly, it was no longer supported. I think um, our RSS readers are, are getting a lot less love these days, and so fewer and fewer of them are making it. So... Um, I'm using Reader, and then for the back end, I'm using Feedly. You know what? You know what killed it, right? What killed Mister Reader was that terrible icon. <laughs> it got better. 
I wouldn't know because <laughs> I lost it with the icon. But the uh, I, I've been using Unread for a while now. Um, uh, Unread is a uh, it's a little more tedious than Reader with two E's. Reader with two E's is like lightning fast. When you've got that app open, you can save something to your reading list or save it to Pocket or Instapaper or wherever with just one swipe. It is so fast to process your RSS articles in Reader. And that's, I think, one of its biggest advantages. It's also very pretty, but uh, its its speed is what makes it great. Uh, Unread, on the other hand, it's usually an extra tap, usually to kind of get things done, but it is really good. I love the way it renders articles. It has some, I think it has some custom fonts or some licensed fonts I haven't seen before. And it just looks awesome. And because I've, I've really kind of boiled down the feeds that I do follow, uh, it doesn't take me that long to get through them. I don't need a lightning fast tool to get through my feeds. Um, and, and one of the lessons I learned kind of through this process is don't save everything out of your RSS to Instapaper or read later or whatever your read later service is, because you're never going to read them. You know, if, if every day you send 20 articles to read later, you'll be lucky if you read one or two of those. So you just end up with this big kind of debt worth of, um, you know, this obligation of this. It's like when you subscribe to the New Yorker and they they, they pile up in the corner and you feel bad about not reading them all. Um, so I, I, I'm very selective about what I actually move to my read it later list. So it's not a big deal. It takes an extra click. Yeah, we should probably talk about that a little bit. Um, are you using some kind of read it later service anymore? And if so, um, how much? Because I will tell you, my use of this has dropped significantly. Yeah, I was I was big, big, big into Instapaper. Um, for a while, I was using Pocket. And then I went back to Instapaper because I like the fonts better. And then, you know, I, I've done something that's almost embarrassing for someone that makes a show called Mac Power Users. I'm using just Apple's service. I will tell you, I'm doing that more and more as well now because it's it's pretty darn good. Uh, I have always used Instapaper and I still use it pretty regularly. Although I will tell you that my usage has has dropped in terms of I'm just not saving a whole lot of stuff to read later because I, I found like you that I just I'm I'm digging into debt with it as I just I save a bunch of stuff to read later and I end up never reading it later. Um, I have been using Apple's reading list more and I think part of that is because of the way that it syncs so well between between various devices. But Instapaper is still probably my tool of choice for those types of things. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking right now and in my Apple read later service, I've got, how come I'm blanking on the name of this thing? What is it again? Um, reading list. It's just called reading list. Reading list. Uh, my reading list currently has 20 articles in it. And so what I'll do is I'll, I'll see something in there and there's a couple categories of things in there. Uh, some of them are things I just want to read in the evening. And uh, 20 is a lot for me to have in here. Usually it's only four or five. But like in the evening uh, when I have time, it's kind of fun to sit down and read an article or two. They might be tech-related or something completely unrelated. But the uh, but it, it's, it's articles that I like to read on my downtime. And then sometimes I see some things in there that, that kick off an idea for an article or uh, something to do with relation to Max Sparky, and I might put them in there. I've also developed um, a workflow um, workflows you know, activities where I can automatically save uh, text from an article to a Ulysses note or, or save it to an OmniFocus task if it's something I really want to act on. Uh, so that even lowers my reading list even more. Uh, I've just had a bunch of deadlines the last week, so it's, it's accumulated here. But in the next couple of days, I'll either get through this or delete a bunch of them. Uh, I'm sorry, one downside on this. Um, uh, 
when I was on an airplane, I wasn't able to get my reading list on my my uh, my iPad. I was sad. Whereas if I'd used Instapaper or Pocket, I would have had them. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Text Expander. Text Expander helps you communicate smarter. For twenty percent off, go to textexpander.com slash podcasts. A lot of times I hear from listeners and readers that want help getting started with automation. They know they want to get better at making their computers work for them, but they're worried about what programming language they need to learn or what books they need to read. I'm always happy to write them back and tell them that they don't need to do any of that stuff. To get started with automation, you just need to use an automation-friendly app like Text Expander. If you spend any time at a keyboard, Text Expander can probably help you out. With Text Expander, you can create snippets of things you send repeatedly. I'm recording this ad later in the day, and I'm just thinking, during this day, today, I have used Text Expander several times. I used Text Expander to create a conference call snippet. So when I was setting up a conference call with some clients, I just typed the word conference call with no space, and it filled in the call-in number, the access code, all the details for the conference call. I had to give someone directions to my office, and I can do that with a text expander snippet. It's several lines of directions. It's got a link in there, and all that was done with just a few short keystrokes. There's really no end of the things you can automate with text expander. You can do your mailing address, your meeting agendas, your website URLs. I even use text expander to create affiliate links when I post things on the website that I want to get affiliate linking on. We've heard from listeners that use Text Expander with their customer service department. All the support replies that their company has are made with pre-approved Text Expander snippets, so that way all of their support people always send the right reply. If you've got a friend with a name that seems like it's all consonants and no vowels and you can never spell it right, create a snippet for that. Once you create this library of snippets, you'll be able to use it anywhere. You can summon your snippets on any app on the Mac, iPad, or iPhone, and even Windows using Quick Search or by typing your custom abbreviation. You can share your snippets with your team. I do that with my assistant for the Mac Sparky stuff. And once you really get how this application works, you'll find that you're constantly adding snippets to your library. That's the power and the magic of snippets, and just one example of what you can do to communicate smarter with Text Expander. And best of all, we've got a deal for you. Go to textexpander.com slash podcast. You get 20% off of your first year. So get yourself started on that path to automation with textexpander.com slash podcast and get 20% off. So let's talk about um, trees or things that used to be trees. <laughs> um magazines um magazines are a thing that i have almost gotten rid of in my life and i can't help but wonder is is that an industry that is is going to make it did i ever tell you that when i was in um well you know that when i was in college i was a journalism major and i i thought that's what i was going to do i thought i was going to go into the magazine business and boy am i glad i didn't now yeah yeah it's rough i mean i one of my daughter's friends was in j school and i I was really scared for her, you know, because I'm wondering, are they going to have jobs for her when she graduates? And she eventually changed to a different major. I, I never said anything, but yeah, it is scary. Uh, there's some great magazines out there. Some of them have made a semi-successful transition to online. A couple of them are still printing uh, paper magazines. Uh, I recently signed up for a subscription with the service called Texture. Um, it's a, it's a web service where, and they've got an app for the iPad 
and it's a bunch of really good magazines and you can just subscribe. I think I'm paying $8 a month. I'm, I'm on a promotion for a few months. I don't know that I'm going to renew it though. Uh, but it's just like my reading list, you know, sitting down and saying, okay, I'd like to read something now for fun or relaxation. Uh, every time I open texture, I find two or three articles from a magazine and they've got magazines where, you know, I think Macworld's even in there, but they also have crafting and news and just about every interest you could think of. Uh, and sitting down with that, I, I must always find something I want to read in there. The trouble is I already have stuff that I want to read that I don't have enough time for. So I'm probably going to terminate this after my three months. But uh, if you like reading magazines and you're a, a techie person, uh, I would recommend checking out Texture because it, it is a lot of magazine subscriptions for, I think, around 10 bucks a month once it gets on the, the regular plan. At this point, the only magazines that come to me are are ones that I get as part of my you know subscription to some kind of organization. Um, I don't independently subscribe to any magazines anymore. You know, for example, I get the the Rotarian magazine. I'm a Rotarian. Did you know that? Um, but I get the I get the Rotary magazine, and I get the the bar. Our local bar journal produces a magazine, and I when they come, I will I will flip through them quickly, and um, then usually put them out in the waiting room. <laughs> you know, but um, the the Rotary magazine is, is is very nicely done. I mean, it's beautiful, and it talks about service projects and and all those wonderful types of things. But um, but it's self funded. It's not like a tip, traditional magazine business. You know, it's not advertising. Right. And, um, and I tell you, I, I don't really sit down and, and, and read the whole thing. I just kind of look and see what's what's interesting and then you know, stick it out in the lobby. But um, I don't I don't subscribe to any magazines anymore for the, the magazines that I get as, as part of like a, a business organization. I will typically flip through them and then flip through like the table of contents and see if there's anything that is particularly important to my field. Like sometimes you'll read through and there's an article about you know, I don't know, unlawful detainer or, or one of those other, you know, very interesting things. And um, what I'll do is I'll just rip the pages out of the magazine and and scan them and save them. You know, if I think it's it's a ref piece for reference that I that I might use again. Um, but that's that's what I do with magazines. I tear them apart if I keep them. I've, I've done that even with you're talking about like kind of like professional reference materials, but I've even done that with articles out of like more standard magazines, but there's something I want to read later and I don't want to keep it around. I, I hate having stuff around. I'm, you know, I'm a minimalist. So uh, a magazine comes in, I will often tear pages out of it and scan it. Uh, I was asking my daughter about this. She's 21 and she has a couple magazine subscriptions and she says she really likes the experience of sitting down with a magazine, even though she's got access to iPads and stuff. So maybe the next generation will uh, have some kind of like comeback for magazines. I don't know. Um, but either way, uh, if you're a geek and you're interested in magazines, take a look at texture because you may save even save money because for one subscription, you get a lot of magazines. <laughs> it's not very interactive. That's one thing I don't like about it. You know, there's not a whole lot of hyperlinks and things about it. You know, they aren't truly digital magazines. They're more scans of magazines, but really good scans. Um, Katie, you want to talk about books? Yeah. So, you know, I moved not long ago. And um, one of the things that I realize every time I move is how many books that I have. And I, I swear that I will never buy another book, a, paper, a physical book every time I move. And then I ultimately end up doing. But it, it got to be something ridiculous. It was like, you know, 20 something boxes of books now that I'm just, you know, schlepping along from from place to place. 
And at some point, I think th- th- this has just got to stop, right? 25 boxes. Wow, that is a lot. It's a lot of books. I, my name is Katie, and I have a problem. Um, and so a lot of it is deciding. Uh, I've, I've tried to decide, uh, and, and some of those are inherited. You know, like when my, my grandfather passed away, I, I got a lot of his books. And, you know, so a lot of those I've, I've kept just as, as mementos and stuff like that. But a lot of it is deciding, you know, what to keep um, and what, what deciding what books are you going to buy going forward and what books are you going to, I'm sorry, what books are you going to buy in digital form and what books are you going to buy in physical form? Yeah. Do you have rules about that? I mean, what, I understand you have a lot of books from the past, but going forward, what, what kind of stuff are you looking for these days in a, in a dead tree book? I, I like to think of books as um, objects that are not just meant to be read, but to be kept um, either for sentimental value or because it's it's something that holds um, unique uh, purpose or for art or for, you know, some – I so what I look at is I look at this book as is, is this a book that I think is going to have a, a lot of significance in my life? Do I think it's going to be a, a particularly um, interesting piece? Do I think it's going to be one of my favorite books? Um, do I think it's going to be a book that's very meaningful – and those are the types of books that I will buy physical books for. Um, if it's not, if it's a book that it's just a book that I'm just interested in reading, but I'll probably just read once and get rid of it, then those are the books that um, I'm, I'm looking to buy. Basically, anything that I would have bought a paperback of in the past is probably a candidate for buying an iBook. But, you know, like, for example, when our friend Dan Morin wrote his book, I, I bought that in like every format possible. You know, I wanted a hard copy to be able to put on my shelf so that he could autograph it for me. I, I wanted a, um, I bought the ebook cause I wanted to be able to listen to it in the car. And, you know, then I, I bought the, 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 I'm sorry, I bought the audio book and then I bought the ebook too, you know, cause those are just things that, you know, I, I wanted all three. Yeah. But that's, that would have been true if there weren't digital books. I mean that you wouldn't have bought that paperback either. Um, uh, you know, I kind of agree with you. I mean, art books are something that I still buy. Um, I just bought the Ralph McQuarrie book, the guy who did all the concept art for Star Wars, because because I'm a nerd and I love it. And it's uh, on my shelf, and I pull it down once in a while and take a look at it. But uh, most other books, I, I try to not get digital. All my legal stuff that I get, like I have subscriptions, and uh, like everybody else, follow up with the uh, you know the industry books and manuals and all the stuff we do. No matter what business you're in, there's books on how to do it and what changes, and all that stuff I do digital if at all possible. If I can't do it digital, uh, I buy it in a form that I can immediately scan it and OCR it because it's it's better to me that way, um, and. Almost all fiction I get, I either do as an audio book, which we'll talk about in a minute, or I do it digital. I don't buy fiction books. Um, lately, I've been reading a few more productivity books, and uh, I know there's a, a big argument in people that read those books saying you should buy the paper ones so you can write and pencil in the margin and do all those fiddly things. I, I don't. I buy them digitally as well, and uh, I do use some of the digital highlighting and tools available to me. But uh, I, I really like the idea of being able to carry a Kindle or an iPad around with me and have uh, several books that I can read at any time. I like that. I like the power of that. So that kind of brings us to, um, uh, you mentioned um, digitizing and archiving your old books. I know you've talked about that before on the show. You know, once you get a paper book, do you ever take a physical book and turn it into something digital? And if so, 
It's when do you make that decision to do that? And then what is the process for doing that? Yeah. Every time I do this, I get emails from people concerned about me because <laughs> I, I have a bandsaw. I do some woodworking too. And I've made probably thousands of cuts on that bandsaw and I know how to do it without losing fingers. And usually what I do is I just, just bandsaw the book. I go ahead and just cut the, the spine out of it. And then I run it through my, um, my scan snap. It, it's real simple. But if you don't have a bandsaw, which probably most people don't, uh, you can take it into like Staples or some of these other uh, companies, uh, you know, these uh, paper service companies, and they will take the spine off for you. And if you've got a good document scanner, uh, then you're good to go. And you'll be amazed how fast the stuff will get through it. I, I don't want this to sound like a scan snap ad, but uh, it kind of does. But, I mean, I, I've got the, the scan snap IX500 and I, I can get through, like I get like sometimes thousand page documents for legal continuing education. And I will just kind of break it down in stacks and use that feature where scan snap will combine them. And I'll just start running them through while I'm writing a brief or walking. You just have to wait until it ends the stack, then put another one in and push the button. And I guess my point is you can get that stuff digitized, I don't know, an hour or two. It just doesn't take that much time once the thing, the process starts rolling. So long as you have a good document scanner. If you don't have a good document scanner, I guess you'd have to send it out and, and then it gets a little more expensive and time consuming. Right. When, when do you make the decision though? And I agree, that's, that's the best way to do it. And, and then obviously as you're doing it, you know, click the button to OCR it. Cause you, you want these, you want these things to be searchable for sure. I mean, that's the whole point really. In a lot of ways, you get a thousand page document in, and then you can just type in a term and get to all the pages that have it on it. It's, it's amazing. I'm I'm thinking about though um, books books that you've had for years when you when you notice that the pile is is starting to mount and you want to make room on the shelf for other things when do you make a decision to start archiving the other stuff and and one of the things that I'm specifically thinking about is like cookbooks like uh, okay have you heard about this Instapot craze thing no oh my goodness have you not been on the internet oh. Not too much. I've been working. <laughs> okay. So everybody, everybody's talking about this Instapot thing. I guess it's been out for a while, but it's just gotten very popular. So I'm uh, Gene McDonald's been talking about it. I think I need to get an Instapot. And everybody's directing me to these Instapot cookbooks. And I'm like, oh, first off, I'm, I'm very curious about the Instapot. But I don't know. Do I? I don't. I've got these cookbooks that I've had for years, and I've never really looked at them. I mean... What do you do with these cookbooks? I've got all these cookbooks in my kitchen. I'm thinking the cookbooks are a prime thing for for me to to scan and get rid of and then start searching because really at this point aren't all the recipes that have ever been online at this point. I mean, do I even need those? You know, the answer to your question is what do I scan around the house? Anything I can get away with without my wife divorcing me. Because <laughs> I I am, you know me, I, I want to get rid of all of these books. I I just, I want clean shelves like we've got in our um like our laundry room david wants to have empty bookshelves so what are you gonna put on your bookshelves david, if you don't have books? um star wars merchandise uh my wife could put some of her mickey collectibles uh or we could have some white space but but my wife we've got this we've got our um like our laundry room i put a shelf in there when we first moved in and it's like full of cookbooks and several of them i have scanned surreptitiously they're the ones that are important to me i have like a the barbecue book and the stuff that i that i use for cooking and i scanned those a long time ago and then she had these uh cook, a series of cookbooks 
on there. Oh, boy, I'm starting to sound like a, an upset husband. But anyway, I, she had a bunch of cookbooks. I wanted to scan them. And the short story is uh, she told me very clearly that that was not acceptable for me to take them to the bandsaw and scan them. So, uh, you know, there you have it. I, I guess I can understand that. She does use them. I see her with some of those books out. But, you know, me, the nerd, come on, honey, it would be great. You could put it on your iPad and it would just lean it. You know. I, I'm starting to get her argument, just, just repeating it here. But uh, I, I would like to scan and get rid of everything if I could. Let's let's talk about ebooks, and I'm going to call them ebooks on purpose because we we have um, Apple's iBooks, or which is now recently just been renamed. the The app has just been renamed Books, which is kind of interesting. Well, we'll see what's going to happen there. Uh, and then Amazon has the Kindle ecosystem, which are probably the the two biggest players. I think the Kindle ecosystem is is still the bigger one. Um, how do you decide where to buy the ebooks from? Or do you live in this this fragmented ecosystem? Um, the the big draw about iBooks is, as as you know very well as an author of these iBooks, is that they can have some really enhanced features compared to traditional eBooks. Yeah, me- media rich books are way better in iBooks, in my opinion. Well, I'll say that as a statement of fact, as someone who works on it, uh, and like the the various Max Barkey Field guides that I sell. Are, are almost all in iBooks if they are a book format as opposed to a video field guide. And I love it. I can do updates. Uh, my readers that buy the books, they like I have a lot of video and screencasts embedded in those books. And you can watch it on an airplane. It doesn't matter because everything is just embedded in the file. You download the book and you've got all that rich media available to you. Um, the layout is better because the author controls exactly how the layout is done. Um, I mean, there's just so much to love about iBooks author, uh, from a consumer standpoint. Uh, so if you uh, want reading media rich books or even just read my books, <laughs> you need to use iBooks. I haven't got used to calling it books yet. Um, I'm a little nervous about it in some sense because, uh, I've got over a year now into working on my next book, which is an iBook rich media book. I mean, it is full of video. I can, it's taking up a massive amount of space on my hard drive right now as I try to push towards finishing it. And uh, I hope that they continue to support the platform. I think they will. Um, uh, the people at Apple that I can talk to about this stuff all seem very positive about it. So hopefully everything keeps going. Um, uh, but so that's what iBooks is really good at. Um, you can also download books just to read books, you know, with words. Uh, they have several apps. Um, I, I think the iBooks or the Books app is very nice. Uh, it's got interesting font choices. It's got the ability to make annotations. It's got a cool page turning um, thing. Now, is, is the books announcement official yet? I thought that was just rumor at this point. Um, I think it's the 11.3 beta. Yeah. Yeah, so it's coming. Um, I, I would hope that means that they're going to put some more love and attention into it. Uh, if you're a user of um, Apple technologies, uh, there's no reason not to buy your books in in iBooks or Apple's Books app. Uh, they have just about everything in Kindle, but not everything. Um, and uh, I think that's just fine. I, for years, that's all I used was iBooks. And just recently, I started uh, trying, because I hadn't used a Kindle for a long time. And my pal Jason Snell, who does the um, the Free Agents podcast with me, is a big Kindle user. And he was telling me how, you know, the Kindles have come so far. I recently bought a Kindle just kind of as an experiment um, with some of the fiction and some of these, like I said, these productivity 
you know, type books that I've been reading and thought, well, I'll try and read those on a Kindle just to see how it goes. And I think for books that are just words, that Kindle screen is really nice to read. You know, it's not a backlit color. Well, it is backlit now, but it's not a uh, traditional LCD screen. It's that, that e-ink tech technology, which feels a lot more like a book. So let me ask you this, and I don't know if you have, have any information, but uh, in iBooks author, or in, in I'm going to call it iBooks for now, since it's technically, that's still what it is. I have not seen a ton of, of what I'll call enhanced eBooks like your eBooks, other than, you know, the Max Sparky field guides and, um, you know, let's say books that have been, you know, done for, for academia. The the vast majority of the books in iBooks at this point are are really what I would just say are are just words on a page or, you know, very similar to Kindle books or just traditional EPUBs or traditional eBooks. Agreed. So if I'm just buying a traditional ebook with no enhanced features, um, is how do you decide whether you buy from iBooks or Kindle? Um, my stand, I mean, there could be some price difference, but in in my experience, is not a significant price difference. Um, then it's kind of an ecosystem choice. Well, do I do I want to read it? Um, on my iPad, or do I want to read it on an Amazon device? But Amazon's got the Kindle app on the iPad. My experience has been, I I tend to buy enhanced books like yours through the iBooks platform. And I tend to have bought everything else through the Kindle platform, even though I don't own a Kindle, because I know that if I at some point in the future buy a Kindle, I can read them on the Kindle. I can read them on the Kindle app for the iPad, which isn't the greatest, but it's it's okay. It's it's fine for, for reading books. And I'll tell you, honestly, in terms of longevity, I have a lot more confidence in Amazon being in the ebook business than I do in Apple. Yeah, I, I don't know about the longevity part, but I would say if you think there's any chance you're ever going to want to try Kindle, uh, the stuff you buy in the iBook store, you're not going to be able to, to read on it. Um, so for the Word style books, that that's an option for you. Or if you think that someday you're just not going to use Apple stuff anymore, you know, you're going to switch to some other platform. Same thing, you know, uh, the Apple does not have iBooks apps for uh, Windows or Android. Uh, so those are are two big way two big thoughts. Now the reason I spent so much time and money in the iBookstore for Word books uh, was because look I'm not going to leave the Apple ecosystem anytime soon, and I actually I actually prefer the app experience in iBooks over the Kindle app. Uh, the Kindle app I think for a long time was kind of terrible. It seems like it's gotten a lot better. Uh, but the iBooks, has, you know, it's made by Apple. It's got some real nice design choices. I like the way it renders the words. Um, so there's a lot about it that I liked. So that's why I was buying stuff for the iBookstore for so long. Like I said, I just got this Kindle. So I'm trying out a Kindle now. And um, and I do find for Word books, that's, the screen technology is great. Uh, it, you know, it, it would be a terrible screen for anything but reading a book of words. Like my my iBooks with the video and stuff, they would look horrible on a Kindle. But but for a book of just words, it's pretty nice. So tell me a little bit about your Kindle. I'm not asking for a, a full-fledged review, but I guess I'm more interested is why does someone who have multiple iPads feel the need to add a Kindle? What does What does the Kindle bring to the equation? Um, uh, part of it's just a nerd being curious and, and, uh, you know, hearing Jason brag so much about it as somebody who is also a big iPad guy. Um, yeah. And, and to be clear, you know, Jason is a prolific reader and, and I'm not trying to say that, that you don't read. I just, 
I, I know that, that Jason reads all the time. I don't know how, how much you read, but Jason is a big reader. Yeah, I read about four books a month, you know, in between things. It, it just depends. But the, um, uh, I don't read as much as Jason does. But I, I did want to try it and see what it was like. And like I said, I, I had a Generation 1 Kindle. Before the iPad existed, I had the very first one. And I just wanted to see how it changed. So I, I bought an Oasis, which is the latest and greatest. And uh, it's it's really nice. I mean, it's smaller than I expected. Uh, it does have a backlight, so you can read it in the dark. I And the other thing that I thought was kind of fun about it was kind of context shifting. Um, I, I've never been one of those guys that says I need to, you know, turn off all my notifications and everything to get work done. But, but there is something kind of nice about reading a book on a platform that cannot, that you can't do any other work on. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. So anyway, I'm trying it. We'll see. But the, um, I'm very happy for iBooks to exist. Obviously it's one of the reasons why I was able to quit my job and, and, and kind of go out because the iBooks um, are, you know, I have my own publishing platform that I wouldn't have otherwise. So I hope they continue to support it. And honestly, there is no other alternative out there that I could make books as good as my books in other than iBooks. So um, for now, at least iBooks is definitely multimedia. Uh, if you are somebody who is happy with the Apple platforms and happy with the iBooks app, that may be where you buy everything. And if not, you can go to a Kindle for that stuff. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by Simple Contacts. You know, it's pretty great when an app takes a tiresome task and makes it frustration-free. Well, Simple Contacts does this by making it easy to renew your contact lens prescription. You'll be able to reorder your contacts from anywhere in just minutes. All you need to do is complete their online self-guided vision test in less than five minutes from wherever you are right now. No more doctor's offices, no more waiting rooms. You can order your favorite contacts from their website or the app. Simple Contacts offers all the lens brands that you love with options for astigmatism, multifocal lenses, colored lenses, and more. You'll be able to order exactly what you need right from the palm of your hand whenever you want. And the vision test is just $20. For comparison, an appointment without insurance could cost you well over $200. Simple Contacts can save you money and time. But we do need to let you know that this is not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. So go grab the app, get your vision test, and start ordering your contact lenses and saving. And as a listener of this show, you can get $30 off your contact lenses. Just go to simplecontacts.com slash MPU. That's S-I-M-P-L-E-C-O-N-T-A-C-T-S dot com slash M-P-U or enter code M-P-U at checkout. Again, that's simplecontacts.com slash M-P-U or enter code M-P-U at checkout for $30 off. Thanks to Simple Contacts for their support of this show. Um, I do want to hit a little bit on audiobooks because those are, those are a, a different type of book. And the big player for so long has been Audible, which is now owned by Amazon. You know, they, they do have the monthly plan that allows you to, and I'm just going to use the word read, even though you listen, um, to one to two books a month, depending on the plan that you get. And then you can get kind of an a la carte plan that will give you a discount. Um, but if, if you're someone who likes to consume books, but maybe doesn't have time to read books, instead wants to listen to them, Audible is an option. 
Um, but if you're an Amazon member, um, I want to mention that there's also a lot of options that come with Amazon as well. You know, for Prime members, you get a feature called like Audible Channels with a Prime member. And there's this also this WhisperSync voice service, which on a lot of books, they'll, they'll run these specials, which allow you to add the audiobook for a discounted price when you buy the ebook. I don't know if you've ever picked up any of those. Uh, no, I, I've not used WhisperSync. I'm a little interested in it, but to tell you the truth, I'm kind of, um, once I decide I'm going to do a book on audio, that's the only way I consume it. I, I don't think I'd want to jump between the, uh, the recording and the word. Uh, are you an audible subscriber? I'm, I'm not an audible subscriber, but even if you, uh, what I'm the whisper sync for voice, often what you'll find is buying the ebook, you'll get the audio book at such a discount that it's cheaper to buy the ebook and the discounted audiobook than to buy just the audiobook. Oh, really? I'll, I'll have to look into that. But the um, and and again, it's not for everything. I, you know, sometimes they run promos and specials. But that's how I picked up. Um, you know, again, the Caledonian Gambit. Um, our our friend Dan Morin's book. Um, I I bought his book. I was like, gosh, I'd really like to be able to listen to this as well. And they had one of those specials where he tweeted that it was on sale, and I picked up the audiobook for just a couple bucks more. Yeah, nice. Um, I uh, I do. I'm an Audible subscriber. I've been for. A long time. I think probably about as long as Mac Power Use has been on the air. So uh, I have a lot of books uh, available to me in Audible version. And I go, I, I split them between kind of like historical, you know, like uh, biography type stuff and and fiction. I, I, I don't do a lot of nonfiction other than kind of biography uh, type books on it. But it's a great way to consume fiction while you're mowing the lawn or doing the garden or whatever. So I, I'm a big fan of it. I think it's great. Um, and it, it's an excellent way to read books that you wouldn't otherwise have time for. Yeah. And I love audiobooks when I'm traveling. When I'm traveling any long distance, they're great for passing time in the car. I used to love it when they would sponsor. They they still occasionally sponsor us. It's very rare. But uh, every time we do that, I have I, I tell Katie I'm doing that spot because I have a whole I have a whole list of audible books I want to share with people that I love to read or listen to or whatever you do. So Google Play just got into the audiobook business as well. They announced in January of 2018 that they were getting into the audiobook business. So some space to watch. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention is there are a lot of resources available through your local library for ebooks as well as audiobooks. I know our local library um, has a vast collection that's available for um I, I want to say for rent, but that's not that's not appropriate for for borrowing. Um they use a service called Overdrive. Um some of them hook in through Amazon, but there's a ton of content available. You'll you'll have to check in with your library. Most of the time it requires you getting a, a library card or getting a special borrowing card for for online borrowing through your local library. You usually have to go in and sign up and and show proof of residency or something like that because they are paid for by taxpayer dollars and sometimes they want to make sure you're a resident or something like that. But um, it's it's just an amazing resource that's that's worth checking out. Yeah, I worked my way through the Orange County Library system. Here we have uh, every library has a series of, of books on CD. You know that. And, and there's a nice collection of them and there's a whole series of libraries in this network and you could go on the internet and pick any one of them at any one of the, um, the libraries in the whole County and the fee for them to send it to your local library was 25 cents. <laughs> and I, I just can't get over what a good deal that is. You know, I mean, if you look at your library, you may find something you were going to spend $30 on you'll get for a quarter. You don't get to keep it, but obviously if you listen to it once, who cares? 
All right. So let's talk a little bit about consuming video, uh, particularly movies and how our consumption of movies has changed. Um, I don't think that I have bought a DVD in over a year, maybe over two years now. Yeah, you've just gone all in on streaming. I have. Uh, this and, and this was a big surprise for me. I'll tell you, the, the first major DVD I didn't buy, I did not buy um the the third star trek movie star trek uh the the third fake star trek movie um star trek beyond did not buy that on dvd didn't yeah it wasn't that good anyway um but what was the real surprise is i did not buy star wars uh the force awakens on dvd and and that's when i knew that I have stopped buying DVDs. And and part of it was because a lot of times you'll get these special deals where you get early access if you buy it through iTunes or if you buy it through Amazon. Um, and then all of a sudden I just realized I, I've it's been years since I've bought a DVD now. And they've got by and large, most of the extras on it. Um, the, the, uh, the tipping point for me was when my kids got to, you know, beyond the age of being small children, you know, small children will watch a movie over and over again. And, um, sometimes as a parent, it's your only salvation. You guys know what I'm talking about. Anyway, uh, I, uh, my kids got old enough where they didn't want to watch a movie over and over again. So the idea of buying movies became much less attractive to us. So as I, I think even years ago, I did a show on Mac power users. I don't remember what episode it was where I talked about how I ripped DVDs into, um, uh, you know, digital form so we could stream them to the Apple TV or whatever we were using at the time. I don't do any of that stuff now. I mean, um, it's rare that we buy a movie. Of course, I did buy the Star Wars movies and some of the Star Trek. But to me, it's more of a, a thing where, you know, three or four times a year, there's a movie that I want and I'll just pay for it on, on iTunes and just buy the digital copy. I mean, they have all the extras now. You're good. And I, I just don't buy that many movies. Interestingly, once again, when, uh, both of my kids like the DVDs. They like to own the DVD. And I guess maybe they're starting to look at a point where they're not going to live here anymore and they're trying to collect their media to take with them. Or I don't know what it is, but they want the physical media more than I do. But uh, yeah, I don't buy uh, DVDs anymore. I guess if Apple ever like fell apart, I'd be in trouble because I've I've bought a bunch of movies that are only through Apple. But I'm just not worried about that either. Yeah. Um, the one thing I do use DVDs through, do, do you have these red boxes like at your grocery stores and gas stations? Um, like a rental. Yeah. I, I will use the, the red box for a rental, maybe a couple of weekends a month for, for you know, $1.50 rental for a, a movie I haven't seen yet. But that's about the extent of my DVDs. I, I think it's so funny. Do you remember just not that long ago, you know, when you used to go to Blockbuster and spend hours, you know, looking and then you had to run it back before midnight and rewind you know, cause you had to, or you had to pay the fee. I mean, that's an industry that has come and gone in a decade. Or, or even just the rewinders you would, uh, when we first had a VH, VHS, we had to buy a rewinder cause we were afraid we would ruin it by rewinding the tapes in the machine. Um, the, uh, in addition to going to Redbox or something like Redbox, or even remember Netflix when Netflix would send them to your mailbox. I don't think, do they still do that? I, I don't even know. If they, I think they can, but I think they, they don't advertise it. I think you have to go to a different website now to, to get the, the DVDs by Netflix. I do most of my purchases now and, and my rentals now through iTunes because iTunes now gives you 48 hours to rent them, which was huge. That was huge. Yeah. Well, and so that kind of the way we do it is, 
it, I guess my kids look it up. They, they're the ones in charge of this more than I am. And so if, if it's at Redbox and they're there or whatever, it's convenient, we'll do that because it's cheaper. But at the end of the day, we're not super concerned if we end up spending $5 to rent a movie for the night. So we'll, we'll do it on iTunes as well. Uh, so, so we are much boring, much more boring on this subject than we used to be because both of us used to have very fancy workflows for getting our DVDs and saving them to digital and all that. And it's funny, I have like probably terabytes of that stuff that I haven't watched in years. I don't know why I even have it anymore. I should just get rid of it all. Uh, I will tell you, there was a new service that, that came out at the end of last year called Movies Anywhere. Are you familiar with this? Yeah, I think so. All right. I think it's it's worth talking about if people aren't aware of it. Is it the one where you buy the DVD and you get the... You, t- you tell us about it. No. Okay. So there are a couple of services then. Um, there used to be a service called Disney Anywhere, and then it has now been expanded and is now called Movies Anywhere. And participating studios, um, which are some but not all the studios, but it's a bulk of studios, uh, they've got an app called Movies Anywhere, but and, and Disney participates, which is huge. So what you do is you you log into Movies Anywhere, you can download the app, and then you link all of your various accounts, your iTunes account, your Amazon account, your Vudu account. I, I don't even know the names of all the various accounts, but the various accounts you have with the various places where you can buy movies. And I wish they would do this for TV shows as well, but I guess it's called Movies Anywhere, not TV shows anywhere. And once you link your account, they actually had an incentive. I don't know if it's still going on that once you linked two or more accounts, they would give you like five movies for free. They, I, I didn't think they were very good movies, but whatever. Um, but if it's a, with a participating provider, is it allows you that if you buy the movie on one service, the movie will show up on all the linked services, which is huge. So um, when when the the new Star Wars movie came out. When The Last Jedi came out, Amazon ran a promotion for Prime members where they would sell you digital copies of all of the Star Wars movies for $9.99, which is a pretty good deal. Now, I own all the Star Wars movies and DVDs and, and those types of things, but I didn't have digital copies of them So, uh, other than The Force Awakens. So what I did is I took advantage of that deal and I even bought the first three, which I thought about, but I was like, well, you know, for 30 bucks, I could buy them. Yeah. Um, so for 10 bucks, I've I, been there, Katie, I've been there. Yeah. I, I bought um, all six of the movies that I didn't have digital copies of. And I bought them from Amazon, even though Amazon isn't normally where I buy my movies, but they, um, they were a participant in the Movies Anywhere program. And so all those movies now show up not only in my Amazon account, but in my iTunes account. And so I will buy movies from other services if they participate in Movies Anywhere. And Vudu has a service where um, if, if you scan a barcode on a DVD that you own or a Blu-ray that you own, you can pay and, and the, the movie participates. You know how movies used to come with these digital codes in them where if you bought the DVD, you'd get a code? Well, nobody has those codes anymore. So what they will do is if the movie participates, they have a service where if you get the app on your phone, you can scan the barcode of a movie that you already own to show like proof of ownership of the movie and then pay a fee and it will upgrade you to give you the digital copy of that movie in your Voodoo library. And then again, so you got to go through the Movies Anywhere, you know, door. If you use the Movies Anywhere, then it will show up in iTunes. Yeah, I, I we do we do have a Movies Anywhere account and uh, all the Disney stuff my wife buys is through that. And and I'm the lazy one who just buys it in iTunes. Like, But like I said, I buy two or three movies a year, so I'm not that hung up on it. 
It is nice, though. I mean, just the idea of being able to open your Apple TV and have all these movies just there to watch. And then occasionally, like, there's a really good deal, like Katie said. Um, Amazon has them. iTunes has them. At one point, I bought the whole Harry Potter series for some ridiculously low price. In fact, I think it was a, it was like a mistake or something. I don't remember. But, you know, so I've got some collections in there, and it's nice. But the... Um, uh, but if you're not, if you don't have little kids that want to watch movies over and over again, uh, just renting is easy. I just feel like this whole problem has got a lot easier over the last few years. And then what about going to the movies? I, I will tell you, I am not a movie goer. I will go to maybe two movies a year. I'm just not a go to the movies type person. It's just got, it's gotten so expensive. And I don't think it's, we don't have really nice movie theaters here. We don't live in a big, uh, big city. So the movie theaters are okay, but they all smell funny and and they're people and it's just kind of yucky. I would really rather watch a movie at my house than be around a bunch of people in a stinky theater, but you know. Yeah, I get it. Um, but if you do go to the movies, there's a great app for your phone, Fandango. There's also a website where you can buy tickets in advance. Uh, it gets expensive. Um, we are trying something right now that's really kind of interesting. Uh, there's a new service called Movie Pass, one word. And uh, they had a promotion. We got it. It was $70 a person per year. And I got one from me and one from my two daughters. And they, uh, it is a, uh, it's like a credit card they send you in the mail. It's a, it's a cast, but they also have an app. And the way it works is you go to any theater, well, not any theater, but most theaters where I live. Um, and the, um, if you're within like 100 yards of the box office, uh, it, it is geo aware. Uh, you can reserve a ticket for a movie. Now it's not the 3d movies, but it's all other movies. Um, and then you can, if, if there's a seat available, it's like buying a ticket, then you get it and you go show your card to the box office and they give you a ticket to go in and watch the movie. Um, so for 70 bucks, we got, and you can do it once a day. <laughs> so, uh, for 70 bucks, we got the ability to go see one movie a day for the whole year. And, you know, we, we just started this a couple months ago, uh, coincidentally, when Star Wars came out. <laughs> and I've already used it uh, two or three times to watch Star Wars. I went and watched the Churchill movie. And it's interesting because now I don't have to pay $15 every time I go to the movies. I've paid my 70 bucks for the year. And I don't think you can get it for that price anymore. We, uh, a friend of ours just... I, th I think it's 10 bucks a month now. Well, or uh, Costco has a deal. A friend of mine just told me that you can get it at Costco for $90 for the year. Um, but anyway, uh, you can, if you like to go to the movies, even probably six or seven times a year, the math starts working out for you because it is 15 to $20 by the time you get a ticket for the movies. Um, and this is a pretty inexpensive way to go. My, uh, my oldest who loves film and TV stuff, she has already definitely paid for hers. I haven't paid for mine yet, but I probably will within another two or three months. So it's just a question of how often you go, but it's kind of a cool thing. It's app related. You've got to have an app on your phone to make it work. And it's, uh, if you like the movies, it's kind of fun. Yeah. I've thought about buying my, my brother and his wife love to go to the movies. So I've thought about buying this for them, you know, as a, as a gift. I, I wish I had thought about it Christmas time because it would have made great Christmas gifts for them. And, um, yeah, go to Costco. I'll look at it. We don't have Costco here. Okay, well, whatever you got, your version of Costco, whatever yeah. that is. Right. Um, what about TV? Same thing? You're buying DVDs of TV shows? No, I've bought them almost all on iTunes now. You know, iTunes has started having, like, every once in a while, they'll have a, a sale for, like, entire box sets. So um, 
I if there's something like, for example, when they had their most recent sale over the holidays, I bought the entire Battlestar Galactica series for sixty bucks. Do you, did you ever watch Battlestar Galactica? Yeah, that was a great the, the it's new a one. Great series, yeah, the new one. Um, I hadn't watched it since the original series came out, which I think was like. 2007 to 2009. So say we all. So, so say, say we, we all. all. Yeah. And it's a great series for binging because it's, you know, it's kind of all one continuous storyline. So I've been watching that the past, uh, since, since the holiday time. And it's been, been great. Did you ever see the Portlandia skit on binging Battlestar Galactica? No. Look no. it up. It's, it's probably on YouTube. Okay. It's hilarious. All right. Uh, um, uh, the okay. West Wing. The West Wing was just on sale on iTunes as well. So I'll buy, I'll, I'll pick those up. I'll, you know, some of my favorite TV series, if I see them go on sale, I'll, I'll pick them up here and there. Star Trek hasn't gone on sale yet, but we'll see. I'm waiting for the new Star Trek series to go on sale or, or not on sale, just go for sale. Um, it sounds like both of us have got more lazy and be willing to spend money to get easy access to digital media for television and TV, uh, movies. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Timing, the automatic time tracking app for Mac OS. So let's talk about why you should be tracking your time. For anyone billing their hours, this might seem a little obvious. But even if you are employed or billing per project, you need to estimate how long it takes for a specific task to get done. Time tracking helps you stay on track with those estimates to make sure you don't end up in the red with your projects, and that can help you make more accurate estimates in the future. Enter timing. Instead of making you start and stop timers, timing automatically tracks how much time you spend on each app, document, and website. It shows you exactly when you were working on what, when you slacked off, and how productive you have been, so you know how to improve your productivity. But work just doesn't happen at your Mac. That's why Timing's timeline automatically makes suggestions for filling gaps in your timeline. That way, you'll never again forget to enter a meeting. I've been running real deep with time tracking lately. I find it a super useful tool for me as a self-employed person. Now I know how much time I'm spending in my email versus getting work done versus goofing off on YouTube. You may think you know how much time you spend in these various endeavors, but you won't really know until you run something like timing, and it's very instructive. It's actually changed the way I'm doing my work. I love using the timing app for this purpose. You just install the app and turn it on. You don't have to worry about turning timers off and on. It takes care of all of that for you, and it gives you very accurate data, sometimes painfully accurate data, but this is stuff you need. Timing is so confident that you'll love their fuss-free approach, they offer a totally free trial. Download the free 14-day trial today by going to timingapp.com mpu and save 10% when you purchase. Stop the guessing of how you're spending your time and instead focus on doing what you're good at. Install timing on your Mac today from timingapp.com mpu and we thank timing for their support of this show. Katie, are you still a cord cutter? Oh, I am. I am definitely a cord cutter. I think I've been a cord cutter now for I want to say five or six years, and um, I don't miss it at all. And I would never. Uh, I have no thoughts at all of of going back to a cable TV subscription. It's been great. Yeah, I, I think um, this is another one. Like, and then as my kids grow older, I'm hopefully going to become a cord cutter at some point, but not yet. Uh, has any of your rig changed since the last time we talked about it? You know, the stuff you're using to pull this off. 
Yeah, let me let me give you kind of a thumbnail sketch of, of what I'm doing. That we we've had um episodes on this, so I'll I'll give you the thumbnail sketch and you can you can go back and listen to those. Um the the big things to know is um more and more people are cutting the cord now and it's it's becoming much more common. The the pain points are still if you watch a lot of live sports, that that can be a problem. Um, when you unbundle, you know, if you get like your phone or your internet through through the same provider that that can be a problem because sometimes you can end up pay more or sometimes you can find your, your bills start going up. Um, uh, and a lot of times you get services bundled when you, when you have a big service, like your DVR can be bundled and those types of things. Um, and then the other tip that I'll give people is you, you just need to do your research and do the math because a lot of times you can spend just as much, if not more money and add a lot of complexity by putting together a bunch of different streaming services and end up having a much worse user experience and not saving yourself all that much money. So it's it's something that you need to think about before you actually do and think about not only how it impacts you, but how it impacts the other people in your house, which I think is your big reason for why you haven't done it. Yeah, I just don't watch that much TV. So I, I think I could get by f- just fine with the Apple TV and the couple series. I If I just paid for the couple series I watch. But, uh, you know, I live with other people. So, and if I'm, if I make their TV watching miserable, uh, that will be a pain point for me <laughs> very quickly. Uh, you're using, so what's the gear that you're using to pull it off? So the gear that I'm using, um, is I, I went a little extravagant and I had a professional come out and install an antenna on the top of my house. And that was probably my biggest expense for, for years. I got away with like a a $20 set of rabbit ears that I had stuck somewhere. But um, when I moved, I finally I, I got a professional antenna installed, and it's it's been a great experience. No no stutters, no dropouts, nothing like that. So that cost me a couple hundred bucks. But I pick up about a dozen channels now, including all the major networks. And when the guy installed it, he not only installed the big Mac Daddy antenna on the back of my house, he made sure it had good placement, and then he also ran wiring to all my various rooms. So. All the TVs in, in my house or all the rooms in my house are wired so that so that they'll have access to them. And just for context, Katie, if, if that cost you a couple hundred bucks for a lot of people, that's one month's cable bill. Um, I, I would say it was like four fifty five hundred bucks. So it, it's probably more than one month's cable bill for most people. But again, it was a, a big antenna and the guy had to go in the roof and in the attic and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, you, you save that back easily in a year. Um AntennaWeb.org is probably the website where you can do to check your reception in your area and what channels you can expect to get. Like I said, most people can probably get away with just a $20 to $50 antenna that they can stick on their wall themselves. Um, the piece that I use for most of this is I use a TiVo Romeo. There's an over-the-air version that um, you buy for a one-time fee. I think it's $3.99. You can sometimes get it less or, or on refurb. But it doesn't have a, a monthly subscription cost to it. You just buy it and you're done with it and it includes the service. And that connects to my um, antenna and allows me to have DVR functionality to record any of the shows that I want. So I can record whatever I want off of all the networks. I can skip channels and all that. Um, the, the TiVo has also done a really good job of it supports all the major streaming services. So if, if you weren't an Apple person or an Apple household and you didn't need iTunes support, this really could be your everything box. It supports Netflix and YouTube and Amazon and Hulu and Plex and HBO and all of those things. So 
Um, it, it's not necessarily as elegant and as pretty of an interface as, as things like the, the Fire TV stick or the Apple TV. But for most people, if you don't need the iTunes support, it's, it's going to be all you need and it's going to be the all-in-one box. And then um, TiVo also makes a mini, which is 150 to uh, sometimes less. You can get it for 100 bucks, which is just like a little satellite unit and that I've got one in my bedroom so that I can access all of my shows in my bedroom. Um, and then I do have a fourth generation Apple TV so that I can access all of all of iTunes and that content. And then what I've done is I've put um, Amazon Fire TV sticks just because they're so inexpensive. If you buy them like on Black Friday or Amazon Prime Day, you can get them for like 25 bucks. And that's what I've put in like guest bedrooms for the basic purpose of turning dumb TVs into smart TVs so that my guests have access to, you know, Amazon Prime and Netflix and Plex. You know, like I said, I don't watch a lot of TV. My wife and I will occasionally find something we want to watch. But right now we're watching that, um, gosh, I don't even know what network. It's Victoria. I don't know which network is running it. But the, um, uh, so we just bought it. You know, I, I don't want to deal with it. So I, I bought the series. I think it was like 20 bucks and we'll definitely get that much worth of entertainment out of it. But uh, we went to watch it last night, and it was on the net. We made time to watch it, and it was on the network, and it hadn't downloaded Apple TV yet. For some reason, I guess they didn't release it until later in the evening. So we went ahead and watched it on network TV, and I could not get over it. The commercials are super loud. While you're watching the, the program, they're putting advertisements on the lower third of the screen during the, the program itself. It's just like a horrible experience. I, I can't get over how much regular TV is user hostile at this point. I, I, <laughs> I get why everybody's cutting the cord. Yeah. And like I said, I, I wouldn't go back. I've, I've been very happy with it. So there's, um, I'm, I think we're watching more and more video by streaming service now. I mean, there's, there's YouTube and, and Vimeo to name a few. Uh, I kind of miss the YouTube generation, but I am watching more of this content. I feel like I've joining the YouTube generation in the last year. This is something that's definitely new since the last time we talked about this, um, where I will in the evening just load up YouTube. I've got a couple saxophone players I follow that have some great tips and uh, some of the history stuff. And, I, you know, I've got like favorite content on YouTube now, which I never really thought was me. I mean, my kids were, have been doing it for years. But I'm 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 into it now, and I I like it. I I don't spend a lot of time watching it, but the interesting thing is there's stuff there that is interesting to me. Probably it's just like this podcast, you know. It's not interesting to everybody on the universe, but there's a group of people out there that like this stuff, and the uh, same thing on YouTube content for me. And I've uh, found several different people I follow. I'm not going to share the list now. Nobody cares about the stuff, but but uh, YouTube is really uh, growing on me in the last year. I think it's great. It's one more reason for me not to want a uh, 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 cable uh, package. Well, and you can learn almost anything you need to learn on YouTube. Um, yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I learned how to clean my razor from a YouTube video, but I'm also learning how to play my sax better. I mean, it's just there's a ton of great content out there. Um, and then Vimeo. I recently watched um, the app documentary, Apps the, the Human Story, which was kind of depressing, actually, um, on Vimeo. And I know you're experimenting with Vimeo, or you're actually not experimenting, you're using Vimeo now for, for your field guides. 
Yeah, I'm a content creator on Vimeo. The uh, We talked about my iBooks. The, if I make a product that's not a book, but just a video product, I've been distributing it on Vimeo. Uh, I'm not super happy with that. Um, I, you know, they don't give me the names of my customers. And I've had a couple customers that bought, they came on Vimeo for the sole purpose of uh, buying one of my Max Barkey video field guides. You know, they're like how to get good at Hazel or how to do OmniFocus. And Vimeo's sending them now a bunch of ads for uh, very uh, questionable video, stuff that's a little um, risque, you know, and they're like, hey, I didn't sign up for this. Uh, so I'm, I'm not super happy with them, and uh, but it is working, and people are able to stream the video, and they're able to download it, and I'm able to put closed captions in. So there, there's a lot of good things about it, but um, I, I'm not as happy with the decision as I would like to be. Now, are you tied to Vimeo? Like if you decide that, you know, you, you are your videos just up on Vimeo and and they're there? Or if you decide that, you know, hey, there's another platform that's that's better for you. How do you switch to that? Or if you or are you kind of stuck there for what you've you've produced now? Well, I, I, I'm not like beholden to only distribute it there or it's not like they own it or anything. I could take it off Vimeo. But um, how would I get my customer names? I'm not exactly sure. Uh, my guess is the stuff that I've sold on Vimeo is, is staying on Vimeo. You know, that's just the way it's going to be. And uh, to be fair, I've sold a lot of copies and there haven't been that many complaints, but the fact that there's any bu bugs me. And uh, so I'm not sure what the future is for me with that. But uh, Vimeo is a, is a way to distribute content for someone like me. You know, I don't have my own television studio. I'm not like Apple. I don't have my own big, you know, CDNs available to me. So it brings a lot to the table for me, but I, I feel like uh, there's also room for a lot of improvement there. And I, and I have let them know. So maybe they'll just get better. Who knows? This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by 1Password. You can learn more and save up to 20% by heading over to onepassword.com slash MPU. So recently, I was at a big attorney meeting, and I went to a seminar on cybersecurity. And you know what I learned? Probably something that if you've been listening to this podcast, you already know. That one of the most frequent ways that law firms and small businesses get compromised is by bad password policies. It's by people taking the same simple passwords and reusing them over and over again through various accounts. You've got the same password for your Netflix account that you do for your bank account that you do for everything you use with your business. Well, there's no excuse for that. And with one password for teams, that doesn't need to happen anymore. With 1Password for Teams, it allows you to store unlimited credit cards, passwords, secure notes, and more, and to securely share these items and documents with your team members. But as the admin, you control everything with your team. It gives you full control over who has access to your team's most important information, and you can share the simple security of 1Password with everyone. You can instantly deploy, grant, and revoke access to shared vaults, and you can even securely recover locked out user account because, you know, from time to time, people are going to forget their passwords. And you can make sure that everyone is safe by using strong, secure, unique passwords across all of their various websites that are automatically filled using 1Password's browser plugins. And with 1Password for Teams, everyone has access to all of the 1Password services and apps, no matter where they are and no matter what platform they're on. 1Password works with Mac, it works with Windows, it works for iOS, it works for Android, and you can even access your information on the web. So up the security of your team and make sure that you're not the weak link 
by heading over to onepassword.com slash MPU and learn more today. And thanks, OnePassword, for your strong support of the show. We talked about news with relation to blogs and, you know, Twitter and social media, but we haven't really talked about how we consume news in other ways. Uh, you know, one of the chief new ones being uh, applications. Uh, in the last several years, several networks have come up with very impressive applications to get the news to you. Are you using any of those, Katie? Yeah, I'll tell you, one of the big, uh, the most frequent questions I get as a cord cutter is, well, my gosh, if you've cut your cord and you don't have cable, how do you get the news? And I, I just turn around and want to look at people and say, really? Did, did you watch the news on TV? And, and yeah, I'm, I'm sure exactly. I'm sure some people do, but most people don't. Um, but yes, I, I, I get my news just fine. I feel like I stay very well informed, probably more informed than most many people. And um, I, I don't have any problem getting an abundance of news. Most of it real, probably some of it fake, but we'll see. Uh, but apps are, are probably the, the biggest change in how we distribute news because all of the sources that I use to get news, you know, through traditional media, whether it be the newspaper, whether it be my local cable news channel, whether it be the national news, they all have apps now. Yeah, I, I had a I was talking to a European friend when we were on our big fancy vacation and uh, he was telling me he had been in the States for a while recently and. In his hotel room, he had stumbled onto the local news, so he watched a half hour, and he said, uh, "Now I now I understand Americans after watching a half hour of your local news, and it just made me so sad to hear him say that. I mean, this is not a joke. I, it just was depressing to me. Uh, there is better news sources, and I feel like using apps to get the news is a much better way to do it than subject yourself to what they put on TV. Um, one of the constant struggles I, I deal with, though, is push notifications, because I, I love having news apps, but some of them are not so respectful of my time and attention. And so I'm trying to figure out a happy medium of how to triage what applications get to send me push notifications, because I really want to see push notifications when there truly is a breaking news event, not when someone wins the Westminster dog show. Yeah. Yeah, see, I, I have the way I've solved that problem is I've just turned off push notifications on news apps. Um, uh, I just don't feel like the the return on investment is there for me. I mean, when I get it's, you know, like like a lot of people, I find it hard to focus. So when I get working, I don't want to push app, even if it's something that's important. I mean, I will catch up with it eventually. At least once a day, I open Apple News. That's my kind of weapon of choice for this stuff. And I'll go through and see what's new. And I have never found something in there in the evening that I felt would have changed my life if I knew it five hours earlier. I I use a couple of apps that do send me push notifications. Uh, I really liked breaking news, but alas, it is no more. It had really great, respectful push notifications and very customizable push notifications, but I can't talk about things that don't exist anymore. I do use the CNN app, but they give you some granularity of what you can um, what you can choose for um for your notifications but i'll i'll tell you that they they still our definition of what truly is breaking news is is probably not not the same but we'll see it's it's getting better um the the other thing that i do is i have the siri watch face on my watch which uh and i've turned on news because that will give me a a notification or it gives me a little news phase i think with five news stories 
Yeah, I, I turned that off. I use the Siri face too, but I turned the news off. I, I am, I guess I'm putting myself in a dark hole <laughs> when I work and uh, it's, it's worked out just fine for me. I, I don't feel like I'm missing out by not having that stuff uh, pushed at me. Uh, Apple News is a new app, though, since we've talked about this the last time. Uh, are, where do you stand on that? Have you used it? Uh, do you have any opinions? I have used Apple News. I, I don't use it regularly. Um, I haven't found it to be honestly that great of a of a news app for me. It it doesn't seem to do that good of a job of of curating the types of things that I want to see in my news app. I I'm finding that I'm getting a lot of um, uh, of stuff that I don't want to see. And maybe that's just because I haven't spent a lot of time curating it. But I'm getting like a lot of um, more pop culture type news, like a lot of BuzzFeed and, and those types of things that I honestly just have no interest in. Yeah, you can tune it. When you start up, you, you can subscribe to certain types of feeds and you can tell it's stuff that you like and dislike. Uh, when it first started, I felt like it was a lot of sig- it was a lot of noise to signal. Uh, but at this point with me, you know, kind of telling it what I like and don't like, it's actually pretty good now. And um, another thing I've done, Katie, is I don't read the Apple News app before I go to bed anymore because it just gets me wired and said I'll read it like in the evening I kind of have a shutdown as I'm finishing my work for the day and I'll check the news that way uh, but I do not want to read this thing right before I go to bed <laughs> that's when I'll pull the Kindle out and read a, a good fiction book uh, but Apple News I think is pretty good so uh, you know I guess try it out and see what you think so what I want to do is I want to I want to dislike a story if I don't like it and then it's gonna gonna figure it out yes yes it gets better and, and I have never show, had any interest in kind of the Facebook news uh, algorithm. So maybe this is just my own personal version of the Facebook algorithm and I'm self-selecting. But I, I'd like to think I have a pretty good variety of opinions and I'm, I'm hearing what's going on when I, when I want to stop and check in with the news. Uh, somewhat related to news and, and audiobooks is, you know, the news version of audiobooks, the podcasts. Uh, we haven't talked about podcasts for a while. We make one, so uh, we kind of have opinions on that. But what about consuming podcasts? Where are you doing that these days? Uh, well, a couple of things. First off, I'm I'm still using Marco Arman's Overcast app, but we should also mention that Apple just released a new news feature specifically for podcasts, where you can ask Siri to read you the news. And it will um, read you information like from um, the NPR news, their their um, their breaking stories, or or from ESPN. Yeah, I, j- I just did it this morning. You can actually—it's just not NPR. You can, if you prefer, I think it was CNN, Fox, and one other network. I forget what they were, but you can have it pick the source. Right, you can have it within reason. I think they offer like a half a dozen sources or things like that. So yeah, that's that's what I do. I'll tell you an, another place where I'm getting a lot of my news from is from the Amazon Alexa. Do um, you ever use the flash briefing feature on Alexa? I hadn't, but just because I started trying out the Apple Read Me the News, I've been trying Alexa as well, just to kind of see what different news it gave me. Uh-oh, she's, oh, she's going to talk now. Sorry. Yes, the Amazon Echo, we should say. Mm-hmm. So um, the Echo has a flash briefing feature that you can customize. I think I've got mine a little too long, but that's all right. I, I've got mine customized to give me the, the NPR headlines, so I get the national news. Uh, you can also search a lot of local news um, sources, have their headlines in there. So Alexa will read me the local headlines from my newspapers, my newspapers in there. 
So I'll get my local newspaper headlines, the weather, and um, Tom Merritt does a show called The Daily Tech News Show, where he just gives you the tech headlines. So, you know, because I like tech, I've, I've added that in there. So when I have a, a, the Echo read me the news, um, that's what she gives me in that order. NPR, weather, local news, and then daily tech news so that I can, you know, I, a lot of times I end up cutting her off. But the, um, the Echo also has a feature called uh, Routines. And so I've got my Echo set that when I say, hey, lady, good morning, She'll do a couple of things, and I typically still do this from bed, is um, she'll, turn on, she'll turn on the lights in my bedroom. She'll start reading the news. She'll, like, turn off the fan. She'll do a – basically, you can you can queue up a bunch of smart home commands. Home animation and all that stuff. Right. So I can get up in the morning. The lights are on, and she's reading me the news, and it's just kind of a way that I can get up and brush my teeth and, you know, make the bed and get going in the morning. Uh, for podcast apps, uh, you mentioned uh, Overcast. I'm using it too. Uh, you know, he's a pal, so I guess we qualify that. But I've tried a few other apps. I the thing I like about Overcast is the way it deals with um, uh, adjusting the level of the noises. Some of the podcasts I listen to aren't as well produced as ours, and uh, I think Overcast does a good job. It also allows you to take the spaces out, but I don't do that that often, to tell you the truth. But it, it's got some nice features in it all the time. Uh, the other, uh, the Apple podcast app is still out there. It has improved. It was so terrible at the beginning and it, it's improved a lot. The one advantage of that is if you want to be driving down the road and start a podcast off with Siri, uh, you can do that with the native app, but nothing else. I, I really hope that we get that this year at WWDC, the ability for third party clients or podcast clients to be uh, triggered by Siri. I don't know that we, we will. Um... But we'll see. I, I, I'm hopeful. That is definitely on one of my wish list of things. But I think Apple has is incentivized to keep us. The other thing that you don't get if you're listening to the show in the Apple Podcast app uh, is you don't get all our chapter markers that we've we've lovingly handcrafted and put in the show for you. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, Katie, you started off the show saying that, you know, the iPad is a big deal for content consumption. Um, where are you consuming most of this stuff? Is it all on the iPad? It's not all on the iPad, but I would tell you that the iPad, uh, I mean, I can, all the things that we've talked about thus far, I can do on either the iPad or the iPhone and, and even on the Mac um, to some extent. But I will tell you that for almost everything that we've discussed, except like, you know, TV watching, the, the iPad is probably my preferred place to consume all this content. Yeah, me too. I was thinking about, I, I don't watch very much video on my iPhone. I mean, you could, I mean, I have the Netflix app and the HBO and while I'm eating my sandwich, if I don't have my iPad with me, uh, in a jam, I'll get it out or watch a YouTube video on it, but they're always very short things. If I'm watching anything of any length or something that I really want to watch, I'll make sure to have an iPad near because the, the bigger screen makes the experience so much better. The iPad audio is so much better. Um, uh, what's interesting to me when I wrote this question down for me is I got thinking about how little I watch television. I think I watch television when there's a program that my wife and I both enjoy watching together. And that's about it. I, I don't watch sports. I don't, the news I consume elsewhere. It's kind of interesting. I, I just don't do that. Or, I, you know, I also watch television to watch movies. So, uh, but it's not nearly as much as, uh, people watch TV just a few years ago. All right. Well, I think we've about covered it. Um, anything else we need to talk about from a content consuming? People are obviously consuming content. They're listening to this show. 
right now. So we, we want to thank them for doing that. Yeah, thanks. And um, let us know if there's some torp, sort of content consumption we missed and what your technology angle is for that. And we'll cover it in an upcoming feedback show. Um, it, it, the most interesting thing for me in, in working on this show was how much things have simplified for us. I think both of us, if you had talked to us in 2009, uh, when the show started, we had much more complex systems and routines for getting our video and our audio in a form where we could consume it in other places. But, uh, just with little tiny baby steps over the years, Apple and a lot of other people that make this content have made it a lot easier for us all to get access to it wherever we want. And I hope that continues. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of it is things have just become a lot fussy. Things have become easier. And a lot of it's just you don't need to or, or want to hassle with it necessarily as much anymore. So, But RSS is still a good thing, Katie Floyd. Don't give up on it. Yes. The case for RSS. Well, that'll about wrap us up. Um, you can send us comments through our and continue this discussion through our Facebook group. You can find a link to that, uh, as well as the show notes for this episode on our website at relay.fm slash mpu slash 416 is the, the show notes for this particular episode. We do want to thank our sponsors for this episode, Smile, Simple Contacts, Timing, and 1Password. And we will see you all next week. Next week.